healing, mostly on healing, and I have discussed that God is our healer. We've discussed our part in terms of sin and what part that plays, and that healing is part and parcel with forgiveness of sin uh, that we have committed. That in some cases, however, God has allowed certain things, maybe even caused certain things, to be with us uh, for his glory at some later date, like the man who was bent over and wasn't straightened up, and Christ says no man had sinned in that particular case, but it was done for the glory of God that Christ would heal him at a certain time. Now that man lived his entire life with that affliction on purpose that he might leap with joy in front of bystanders and that would be to the glory of God. We discussed that many are the afflictions of the righteous and that God understands every feeling, every emotion, every need that we have, and he allows certain things to teach us, if you will, to refine us, because he wants gold and silver and precious jewels in his kingdom, and it takes heat and pressure and all kinds of things that we must go through in order to purify us. So a certain amount of pain, a certain amount of suffering is required. It isn't that God is angry or mean in putting those things on us, but he allows certain things that would happen to happen because when we have everything going seemingly our way, it is easy to forget God. But when we have troubles and problems, trials, troubles and tribulations, then it forces us to our knees and we seek God. He is far more concerned with spiritual jewels, gold and silver, than he is with how you or I physically feel today. Now, he is, it is not lost on him how we feel, and he would love to see us prosper and be in health. But because of our spiritual problems, and our lack of attentiveness to him, he has to allow those things to continue to cause us to be spiritually what we need to be. The sooner we straighten up, the sooner he can bless us. That's just the way that it is. We discussed faith and the kind of faith that is required, that it has to be a living faith undergirded by works. If we say, I have faith in God, but we're not doing the things that God says to do, then that faith is dead. Now, how much good does something dead do you? Huh. A live dog is better than a dead lion, Scripture mentions at one point. Something's dead, it's worthless, it's not helpful. So we need living faith. We need to be doing. And what I tried to explain on trumpets is that it is so important that we are convinced that God's way is the best way. 
Our human nature tells us another way is better. There is a way that seems right to a man at certain times, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. Sometimes we consider the short term and forget the long term because we want gratification, pleasure, feel good now rather than considering what the long term effect will be. Now I want to turn this a little bit today in a, in a different direction. Let's talk about just the physical primarily, not the spiritual. Spiritual healing is important before physical healing really can take place in any grand fashion. But we need to talk about the physical as well. Now, remember the series I did on the temple some time back in which it was seen in the scriptures that God chose the temples, I mean the materials for those temples, very, very carefully. He only wanted the best to go into his temple. It had to be fine things. They had to be properly cared for, properly taken care of. No inferior things were allowed whatsoever. Now, couple that with the fact that we are the temple of God's Spirit. Our bodies are the temple of God's Spirit. And what goes into these bodies, then, should be fine, should be good material for building the physical body for his spirit to dwell in. Not only that, but we also, as a church, are the body of Christ. The analogy is right down to the individual temple, but we also form together, compositely, a larger temple. And God is being very careful whom he selects. He called many, but now he is choosing one at a time until he gets to 144,000. No more, no less. And he wants each of those to be fitted carefully into the body. That body then becomes the bride of Christ. And he wants his bride to be correct, to be proper in every way. So there is a great deal of emphasis in the body being provided the nutrients it needs. In terms of the spiritual body, he says he is the bread and the life. He is the water. He is perfect. Everything that Christ did was correct and right. And he wants us to be correct and right. Now, God recently tore one temple down, a temple that you and I were a part of. He was a little displeased with it, the way that it was, and I'm hearkening back to Zechariah 1 here. And then when the heathen came in, he became sorely displeased. He was somewhat pleased with the doctrine. He was somewhat pleased with our actions. But when total paganism came in, in the form of Sakachism, he became sorely displeased and then began to blow it apart. But if we are those who were scattered from it, he was not entirely pleased with us either, was he? He wants us to be different than what we were. If we're to be a part of that bride of Christ, we need to be right. We need to be what he would have, what he would seek 
if we were looking for a marriage partner. It's what he's seeking in us. And considering the quality of his life and his character, then he wants that in us. Now let's take this turn and apply the same question that I applied on Feast of Trumpets to today. Are we convinced, are we convicted that the Creator God who made the Garden of Eden and all those plants that were within it, all those animals that were in it, and determined what was good for food and what was not good for food, are we convinced that he knew best? Or have we bought the idea that mankind can take what God made and improve upon it? That he could change it, that he could refine it, that he could sift it and sort it and heat it and chill it and take it apart and put it back together again and make it better than the one who originally created it. Are we convinced that the way God made food is the best way? Would he know? Does he know? Is he smarter than General Mills or General Foods or any of these big corporations? Or is he not? Well, I preached on this subject probably about this same time last year because we started into the book of Daniel. I think it was sometime before the feast and concluded it there. Or has that been two years ago? Uh, time goes by so fast anymore, it's hard for me to keep up with how long it's been. But e either a year, or if it's worse, even two years ago, we discussed this. I believe it was two years ago, the more I think about it. But we're still struggling. We're still struggling with our old habits, our old ways, and perhaps our old way of thinking. And we're trying to find, at sometimes, ways around these things, and trying to do things the way we have always done them, the way this society taught us. Now Daniel grew up in Jerusalem for the most part, and when the captivity took place, he was one of the young lads that was taken into the court of Babylon, and they began to teach him, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and other young men, the ways of Babylon. Now let's get a principle here. I do not have a list of exactly everything that Babylon was providing to those young men. It does say here in Daniel 1, and this is an interesting thing because it is, if there's an end time book that is so stated to be, it's Daniel and the book of Revelation. And the book of Daniel, unlike the book of Revelation, was sealed until the end. So it's something that wasn't even to be understood until the end. And that's from Daniel 1 through Daniel 12 not just Daniel 9 and 11 and 12. I should go to 13, 12, I think, as far as it goes. The whole thing was sealed. 
But one of the first things that is addressed here, actually it's the first subject that is addressed that has to do with conduct. Daniel 1 and verse 8. Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, these men truly had to be careful. They had been made eunuchs of men, had been castrated. They would tend to get soft. They would tend to gain weight because of what had physically been done to them. So they had an additional problem on top of whatever they might have been feeding them, and I understand that. But Daniel was very concerned at what he took into his body. He says the king's meat. Now we should know by now that that simply means food, not necessarily red meat, but food. In fact, in the Hebrew, Two words here, hat bag, or however you would say it in Hebrew. I'm sure that's not the right pronunciation. But it's two words that together mean delicate king's food. Those things which were made especially for the king. And Daniel recognized that they were not good for him, not good for the people. Now that is the key principle to get out of this, that there were things that were being made, whatever they might have been, that were not good for Daniel and the young men to eat or to imbibe of. I don't think it's talking about just meat here, clean or unclean meat in other words, because they would not have eaten that in any case. This was something in addition to unclean things that he recognized were not good for him. Now, I'm not going to go through the whole thing again, but in verse 12, he says, Prove your servants, I beseech you, ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Vegetables and water. So they took those things away, and at the end of the ten days, whatever it was they had been eating was not good for them, and they were better fleshed, better looking and in better health in only ten days' time than they had been eating whatever it was that was being served to them. Now, I made the point then, well, I didn't then, I did sometime later. And I think it's a point that is worth rehearsing here. That is, that mankind has been eating unclean meats for about 6,000 years now. And we did not begin to have the kinds of health problems we have today until about 100, 150 years ago, and especially in the last 30, 40, and 50 years. The eating of unclean meats, while a wrong thing and a bad thing, did not do nearly so much damage to our bodies as what people are eating today which are not classed as unclean in God's work. What we are imbibing of in this society today is so quickly killing us, it's almost unbelievable. 
am not about to make a change on clean and unclean. Some would probably read that into this. Not on your life, I'm not. Or not on my life. I won't bet yours on it, but I'll bet mine. God created certain things not to be eaten so that we would make proper choices. But he also tells us to judge by the fruits, doesn't he? And look at the fruits of the things that Americans, Britons, Australians, and really around the world, the people are eating, much of which has been refined and the processes invented, I guess you would say, right here in America and in Europe and Britain and what it's doing to our health. Now, would God want us to do that? Consider how carefully he selected materials for his temple and consider that your body is the temple of his spirit and deeply consider what God would have us imbibe in our bodies. Daniel chose carefully and he risked the anger of the Babylonian government in denying those things which he saw were clearly not good for his body. I think we have trouble really grasping how much the society around us has affected us. Things we watch, things we hear, things we read, things we eat or drink. We do not realize the degree to which it's affecting us. This needs to be brought home to us. And I see people struggling with this concept on food. Well, let's see, that's contraband. We don't want to bring it on the property. Or if we do, let's hide it carefully. Or if we get caught, let's repent and whatever. But then we go back into Babylon, and we think since we're there, back in the city, wherever we might be, that it's okay to do it there. Well, if it's not good for you here, why would it be good for you there? And this concept of, well, I deserve a treat. What do you mean you deserve a treat? What do you mean by that? You mean you want something that isn't good for you, that you used to have, that you would like to placate your nature with, your palate with, your perverted taste buds with. Because our taste buds have been perverted. They are perverted. And it takes a long time and a lot of diligence leading the right things to get rid of the perversion. It's something we have had and been a part of us now all our lives. I do not think it should be lost upon us that in the 50s when Mr. Armstrong was telling us that we should eat those things which wouldn't spoil and eat them before they spoiled, and we should stay away from refined, processed foods. That our health was better, and we were healed more often. Part of it was spiritual, and I think part of it was physical. Then it became popular for some to say, oh, those things don't matter. You put them in your mouth, and they go out the draft, and that doesn't hurt you. 
So the church sort of, for the most part, gave up on trying to eat healthfully and went back to eating anything they found in the grocery stores if they thought it looked good or tasted good. So today, I find us struggling. I see people struggling. When Israel was released, or Judah was released from Babylon, most of them had become so absorbed in it, had bought it so thoroughly, that they no longer really even had a desire to get away from those things which were wrong, that God had taken them into captivity to teach them a lesson about. He sent them into captivity to get them to repent. Instead of repenting, they simply absorbed and accepted the society that was around them, which was ungodly. Just because to your mouth and your senses something tastes good does not mean that once it clears the throat and heads to the stomach that it's good for the body. We're dealing here with emotions. We're dealing here with habits. And because it feels good or tastes good, we want it. Does that make it right? Do we deserve, does your body deserve Babylon's treat? Now your emotions and your tongue might convince you that your body deserves that treat. Well, what about when it hits your stomach and your liver and your kidneys and your blood system and pours impurities into them? Those impurities are going into the temple that you are trying to build. Now is that, would God judge that a treat to your body? Or is it just a sensual thing? There is a way that seems right to a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. I see people struggling with coffee creamers. I see them struggling with ketchup. Ketchup is 50% or at least that, maybe more in some cases, uh, refined corn syrup or sugar. Is that so bad? I'm going to read some things to you today. Now these are not from extensive research, and I want to make that point. I think it's an important point to make. These are just three or four things for the most part that I pulled out of U.S. News and World Report over the last three or four weeks. Now there are books and books and books written that you can find in health food stores and nutrition places which explain how debilitating and how horrible the things that mankind is putting out there for us today are and the effects that they have upon our bodies. And you can go there, and you can read those. Or you can say, it doesn't make that much difference. But these are just things that I casually picked out without a great deal of research, because and the point I'm trying to make is, there are a lot of people in the know who realize how bad some of these things really are, and it just comes out here and there. Why is it? that the state of California has recently been trying to enact laws to get vending machines out of the schools. It's because they recognize 
that pop, be it sugar pop or diet pop, is terrible for the human body. They want the candy out because they understand that sugar is not a good food, that it is harmful to the body. So even in the midst of Babylon, you have some people who are alert enough to realize we are destroying ourselves with what we eat. There are several states who are trying to make these changes. Now, they're meeting resistance. Why? Because we are addicts. We have become sugar and sweet addicts. We're addicted to it. Just as much as you can be addicted to smoke, caffeine, cocaine, marijuana, or anything else, we have become addicted. Our bodies crave that which they should not have. And since America's Americans are addicted, we have to address it in that fashion. We need to understand what it does to us. Here's one, let's see, this is from September 6, 2004, U.S. News & World Report. It talks about, the, the title is Pressures Rising. It's talking about blood pressure here. A lot of people have blood pressure problems, or hypertension, they call it. A lot of it is from clogged veins, which have been clogged by refined products called foods, but which aren't really food. It says, and I quote, The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute has shown that controlling sodium salt products, most of which is hidden in processed and prepared foods, reduces blood pressure. Now, they put a lot of sodium, and a lot of it is misused and abused in so-called food products today. And it's overlooked. It's hidden there, it says here. Another report last week linked sugared soft drinks to weight gain. That adds to evidence that the high fructose corn syrup used in soft drinks may increase the risk of obesity and diabetes and, in turn, high blood pressure. In animals, fructose leads to hypertension. In fact, new antihypertensive medications are tested on hypertensive rats fed high fructose diets. Now listen to this. Consumption of high fructose corn syrup has skyrocketed to about 63 pounds per person yearly, yet its impact on human blood pressure has yet to be studied. Now, I have another study here that says it has been studied and that it has turned out bad. Got high blood pressure? A lot of it's because of sugar and white flour. Refined things and pop and all those things that people today want. We've been trained to like. This one's called Soda Flip-Flop. This is from, well, same issue, different article. Are you one of those people who routinely guzzle non-diet soda and fruit punches, or worse, regularly serve it to their kids? Well, this isn't religious. This is somebody in the health business who recognizes that people do imbibe these things and do let their children have them. A lot of people say, well, I want to get more natural, so they'll get this fruit punch. 
so it's got 5%, 3%, or 10% fruit juice in it, and the rest is corn syrup or sugar or other ingredients of punch. It says, get a clue. Are we clueless? Let's get a clue here. A new study of more than 90,000 nurses, now that's a fairly broad study, 90,000 nurses at Boston's Brigham and Women's Hospital shows that daily doses of high-calorie, low-nutrition beverages containing sugar or corn syrup can make you fat and dramatically up, up your chances of developing type 2 diabetes. Now, let's see how easily it can do it. Continuing. Researchers found that women who gulped just one serving a day had an 83% greater chance of developing diabetes than those who drank fewer than one a month. One a day gives you an 83% chance, higher chance, of diabetes than those who drink less than one a month. That's an incredible statistic. Why do we have diabetes running rampant through our society today? I think it should become obvious. They also tended to pack on the pounds, an average of 17 over eight years. That's one serving per day. People need to be aware, says co-author Meyer Stamper of the Harvard School of Public Health, that sugar-sweetened drinks are not good for you, especially for people who are watching their weight or are concerned about the possibility of diabetes, which should be all Americans. Unquote. All Americans should be concerned about diabetes because almost all Americans are imbibing of these things. Now I might add, that's sugar and corn syrup. And when you go to the uh, non-sugar sweeteners, the artificial sweeteners like aspartame, they are even worse. The side effects are greater from them than even from sugar or corn syrup. Then they have a little postscript here in italics, and it says, So what's a soda addict to do? They recommend, have one as a treat, not as a staple food, recommend Stamper. Now, I'm not so sure we ought to even have one as a treat, because that is not, to your body, a treat. To your body, it's a poison that it has to deal with. It's only a treat to your tongue, to your senses. It's not a treat to your body. And the body is the temple of the Spirit of God. This continues. What's a soda addict to do? Even better, ever heard of water? What's wrong with drinking water? Around here, you get your daily required dose of sulfur. Now the sulfur can be filtered out quite easily. We have a Brita there by the sink, and we just pour it through there. That takes care of it. It doesn't taste bad at all. 
tastes good, in fact. This drinking enough water is one of the major keys to good health. They suggest drink more water. Forget the soda. Forget the fruit punches. Drink water. What did Christ liken his word to? Living waters. We thrive on water. Our body is mostly water. The body needs water. Marla wrote down the name of a book here, which is a very good one to read. It's entitled, Your Body's Many Cries for Water. Your Body's Many Cries for Water. Many physical ailments that we have are simply a matter of your body not having the water that it needs to operate properly. That is the primary fluid that your body needs to operate properly. And what you get in tea or coffee or fruit drinks is not sufficient. Your body treats those things as food. And in the case of some of them, like coffee, it is a diuretic, and the water that is in coffee does not count toward your minimum daily water requirement because it purges water out of your system. So if you drink coffee, then you have to drink even more water to make up the difference. Your body really needs water, just like your spirit needs living water. Now one real simple test is just watch your urine. If it's yellow, you do not drink enough water. And the deeper yellow it is, the more desperately your body is for water. That's a simple test anyone can take several times a day. You don't need litmus paper, you don't need early pregnancy tests, all you need is to look. Is it yellow or is it clear? That simple. That book, Your Body's Many Cries for Water, is by, he just gives his initial F, Batmanglid, or something like that. B-A-T-M-A-N-G-H-E-L-I-D, Batmanglid. Mangalit, remember that, and maybe you can find it at the health food store. But that, that's a good book to read. I'm not going to take the time to go through portions of the book here to convince you I'll tell you, you need a lot of water. And if you want to get the physical backup and read that, it is available. Uh, she got these books from the Dixie Nutrition Center in St. George. Now I've got one more here from, this is a, an editorial from U.S. News and World Report. Same issue, by the way, September 6th of this year. This is by Bernadine Healy, M.D. It's called Rebuilding the Pyramid. Now, she says food is not fun anymore. Our nation is hooked on supersized fast foods, all-you-can-eat buffets, and heavily hawked fad diets. Even worse, a battle rages as to which of our two major energy sources, carbs or fats, are to blame for the national epidemic of obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure, and heart disease. She calls it an epidemic. When one out of three people 
in America are going to have cancer before they die, almost that many will have heart problems or heart attacks before they die, and the spread of diabetes is epidemic, or in, it's, it's out of control, and probably nearing a half of Americans will have diabetes before they die. Now, how can half have a third have cancer, a third have heart disease, and half have diabetes? Well, a lot of people are going to have all three. But the incidences of all these are increasing incredibly and have over the last two, three, four decades. As we have gotten more and more away from the farm and from producing those things which God made the way that he made them and have used more chemical fertilizers, more uh, insecticides, processed them more, refined them more, and gotten away from the natural way God made things. The more it has been refined, the more it has been processed, the worse it is for your body. It's that simple. Now we have this great big fad, now everybody's on the Atkins diet. Well, what are they, you know, we have one fad after another after another. They say don't eat meat, eat carbs. Then they say don't eat carbs, eat meat. They can't get a balance on things at all. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but she, she bases it on Julia Childs, who died recently, who was a cook. But Julia Childs, even though she used some things wrong, did have some pretty good knowledge of what true nutrition is. And here is how Julia diagnosed the obesity problem. America snacks and has seconds and eats too much of everything. That's the first problem. We simply eat too much. And you can get fat, and you can begin to have health problems simply from eating too much, even of a good thing. Since the 1970s, portions for all manner of food and drink have swelled lavishly to the tune of hundreds of extra calories per person per day. All you can eat is neither virtue nor bargain but it has become a habit. Isn't it fun to go to the all-you-can-eat places and stuff yourself? I go once in a while myself. Maybe I go more often than I should, although it isn't very often, maybe once every month or two. But it's fun to go through and just eat, 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 eat all you want. Perhaps even if we go to those places, we for, should only eat as much as we should. But you get there and it's hard to control, isn't it? Because it all looks so good. And even then, at some of those places, there are some good things to choose from that haven't been refined and processed, and there's some junk there. Even when I go anymore to an all-you-can-eat place, I don't go anywhere near the dessert table. I don't... Go get the white breads, the white flowers. I try to eat meats and vegetables, and there's plenty there of good stuff without having to go eat the junk. 
And even the best things they have there probably were not raised right and had insecticides and wrong fertilizers and everything else used on them. But that's true of anything you buy in the grocery store. You can't get completely away in today's world. But we can certainly make a Herculean effort. Let me rephrase that. Herculean refers to Hercules, who was a Greek god, ultimately Satan. So let's not make a satanic effort at this. Let's make a godly effort, as Daniel did, to do what is right. You can't get it all out, but you can't justify that and say, well, I can't get it all out anyway, so I might as well have some of this. That is human reasoning. Now continuing here, beyond the porked up portions pigs do eat a lot, however, there is also deterioration in the quality of those calories chosen from carbs and fats. Julia Childs recognized that man was refining and processing things more and more and more, and that that was not a good trend. Continuing, Carbs from refined grains, that is, white flours and white rice, things that have been tampered with and refined, which more quickly raise blood sugar and insulin levels and may predispose some people to diabetes, have replaced the heftier whole grains and cereals. Store-bought cereals, grains, breads, most of them have been tampered with refined and processed, and she says here, they cause insulin levels, blood sugar problems, and uh, hypertension or blood pressure problems. And blood pressure problems come chiefly from clogged veins and arteries, clogged with refined things that lead to heart attacks. Now continuing, and grains have fallen behind sweets and sugar as the single largest source of carbs in the diet. People are not eating grains as much. They're eating sugar and corn syrup and empty, empty calories. Quoting some more, in large part, that's thanks to heavily, heavy daily consumption of sweetened soft drinks the classic empty calories. Nothing in them. Why would you eat nothing? Why would you drink nothing? We're going to see that actually it's worse than nothing. They're empty, yes, but they also do something else that I'll read about in just a moment. She says there is nothing wrong with sugar. Now, I would totally disagree with that. Uh, refined, processed, anything, there's something wrong with. And I'm going to read another quote from another source in a moment that will show this. She says, but the syrupy stuff, sugar, corn syrup, just doesn't carry the nutrients that travel with whole grains, fruits and vegetables, and low-fat dairy, including fiber, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, and other chemicals, which protect against heart disease, high blood pressure, cancer, and osteoporosis. Those empty calories don't have what is needed to protect yourself from disease. 
Indeed, depriving the body of these varied nutrients is a danger for low-carb dieters as well as for sweet tooths drunk on soda pop or anything else sweet. Now I'm going to remind you of a scripture here, Proverbs 25, 27. Proverbs 25, 27. Now honey is well spoken of throughout the Bible as something that God made. It is a natural sweet. It is a good sweet. But notice what Proverbs 25, no, 27 I guess it is. Well, I wrote it down. Did I get it wrong? I wrote 25, 27. Yeah. Well, I was looking in chapter 26. Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey. doesn't say honey is bad. Many other scriptures show honey is good, but not much or a lot of honey. Now, that was a mistake we made back in the 50s. We heard that sugar was bad, and even brown sugar or so-called raw sugar was bad. Did I say sugar was good? I meant sugar was bad. So we substituted honey and ate lots of it. Now, that was a contradiction of Proverbs 25, 27. It is not good to eat much honey, so for men to search their own glory is not glory. Have you ever noticed a little bragging goes a long way? That when somebody starts bragging about self and glorying in themselves, it wears thin in a hurry? It does. A little bragging goes a long way. And so a little sweetener goes a long way. Now, if God says that about something that is naturally sweet and warns not to eat too much of it, would that not begin to tell us that sweets per se should not be consumed in the amounts that we have become accustomed to? People say, I've got to feed my sweet tooth. Why? because you have, addicted, you have developed an addiction to sweets. Now, God makes some natural sweets, and perhaps we should be going there for that sweet tooth, rather than the sweets that this world has produced, which are bad for us, which are empty, which have nothing in them. Is there anything much sweeter than a dried date? A fig? A dried fig? Very sweet. Tastes good. I remember my dad used to buy pecans and dates. And you put a pecan and a date in your mouth and chew that. That was, man, that's good eats. What about grapes? Anything much sweeter than grapes? Figs, peaches, fruit juices. There's a lot of sweet there. And it's nutritious. has good stuff in it. I think you can overdo fruit juices, frankly, uh, because God made peaches and he made grapes to be eaten. And if you start juicing them and just drinking it in great big quantities, there might be more of that than the body actually needs or requires. All things in balance. But there are a lot of things that are God-made that are sweet. I bought a box of peaches a couple of days ago. And I've been in peach juice down to my chin and elbows. Man, that's to me, is a treat. Those are good. 
They're sweet, they're juicy. God made those, and they're good for you. They're full of vitamins and minerals, and full of natural sweet that has not been processed or refined. There are things you can find. Now, you know, peach season comes and goes. You can can them, put some honey in them if you wish. That helps keep them fresh, and it makes them sweet to eat later. Or you can get dates and nuts and dried figs and things to, to snack on. There are a lot of things you can find in the health food store. Be careful. Some of that stuff processed refined, too. Somebody says, well, it said all natural. Yeah, all natural, that means it's not strychnine. Maybe. Strychnine's natural, though, isn't it? Isn't it a natural product? Just because some advertiser says it's all natural is not necessarily so. And when somebody looks at something that has the ingredients that some of these things have and say, well, it says it's natural, I think they're looking for an excuse. I think they're denying the principle and trying to split hairs to do what they want to do. She goes on here, then there are trans fats. These are the man-made hardened fats created by hydrogenating perfectly fine vegetable oils, like Crisco, see? That was an oil that has been hydrogenated and made into a solid. Or margarines, or fake butter, all those things are terrible for your body. But people eat them because they don't want to get fat. I think it's this other page here that makes the point, or the other book, maybe I don't have it written down, but some of those things that have been processed and refined, whether they are sweets or whether they are oils, actually make you want more food. The point was made that soda and the caffeine in it and the other ingredients that are there make you want to eat more. So you, people drink a diet soda thinking, well, I won't get fat on this. Well, you may get hardening of the arteries and, and uh, cancer, but you won't get fat. I think people are more afraid of fat than they are cancer in our society today. But those things spark a desire for food. Why? Because the body craves proper nutrition. And when you eat something, it gets your liver all set up to want some food, and instead you give it junk. So then it makes you hungry. The hunger response is triggered because the body thinks, oh, here comes something sweet, <coughs> therefore there must be some food involved. And when it gets nothing but junk and empty calories, it triggers a desire for more to eat. So then we drag out the potato chips or whatever else. And we get in worse and worse health. Okay, she says they hydrogenate perfectly fine vegetable oils in order to convert them from liquid to solid. The process makes stick margarine look like butter Commonly used for french fries and in baked goods, to lengthen shelf life, they are mostly invisible to, to consumers. <coughs> it's all marketing. They want to put something out there 
that will still taste fresh until it sells. Good if eaten before June 4th, 2015. Now maybe that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but a lot of it they want to put out there and have it good for two or three or four years. What have they done to it to make it still taste fresh after that long a time? How long does it take natural oil to go rancid? How long does it take wheat to go stale once it's been cooked? It goes bad fairly fast. But these things, once they have tampered with them, processed them and refined them, stay the same. They're dead, they're virtually inert, but they stay the same for a long period of time. <clears throat> Is something dead going to do you any good? Even meat, though the animal is dead, is still alive food. It'll spoil fairly quickly. She says they have this in French fries and in baked goods to lengthen shelf life. They are mostly invisible to the consumers, and this has been a problem. Though derived from plants and cholesterol-free to begin with, they are not heart-healthy, Unlike beneficial plant-derived oils and fish oils, they elevate bad cholesterol and lower good cholesterol. And when you order those foods in the fast food joints or wherever, that's what they're using <coughs> for the most part. Recognizing this, the Food and Drug Administration will soon require that trans fats appear separately on food labels and I would hope well noted on the revised food pyramid due out next year. She says, I'm no Julia Child, but with her culinary inspiration, I can turn out a perfect 510 calorie meal. This, this is interesting. Natural peanut butter, the non-hydrogenated kind, you have to stir. See, you buy Skippy or some of those, they have hydrogenated oils, they have sugar added, this kind that is inconvenient because the oil will separate. That's what she's talking about. Just ground nuts. Here's her perfect 510 calorie meal. Natural peanut butter, toasted whole wheat bread, and a dollop of blackberry jam washed down with a glass of skim milk. Now I'd make two changes to that. I wouldn't use blackberry jam. I'd use all fruit or honey and I wouldn't skim the milk. Now you can skim the cream off and make butter and have real skim milk, but you know what I mean. Let's not have homogenized, pasteurized milk because it is hard on the arteries and causes hypertension. So nuts, a whole grain bread, a proper sweet, and milk. And you have a 510 calorie helpful meal. That's what I've been having for breakfast for some weeks now because I was eating other things and they wouldn't stay with me beyond 10 o'clock. I can have a peanut butter sandwich and a glass of milk in the morning and I'm good till 1 or 2 in the afternoon. I, it gives me the energy and there's nothing there that's bad. I use all fruit instead of blackberry jam.
Now, I don't recommend that we all eat peanut butter sandwiches three times a day, but she just gives an example of something that's helpful and nutritious. <clears throat> now, this is from, this is a pamphlet or a small book called Sugars and Sweeteners. This also is available at Dixie Nutrition Center in St. George. I'm going to read about sucrose, which is refined white sugar. I've had people say, well, what's wrong with it? Sucrose is a refined white sugar derived from cane or beet. Sucrose's purity is from extensive refining. They call it pure cane sugar. It's pure toxic poison because everything that was good in it has been refined out of it. The author says, People who chew sugar cane, which is not very sweet, but is rich in minerals, trace minerals, and vitamins, usually maintain good teeth. So sugar cane is not bad for you. I've chewed sugar cane as a boy, just, you know, right off the stalk, just chewed on it. It tasted good. That doesn't hurt you. Continuing to quote, Those who eat many foods with refined sugar, concentrated in sweetness, but lacking in nutrients, are cavity prone. Now haven't we all known that all our lives? Haven't we been told don't eat sugar, don't eat candy, don't eat all this stuff because it's bad for your teeth? Haven't we been told that? Yeah, we have, but what have we done? We've ignored it because we're addicted to these things. Continuing. The refining process removes the nutritional components necessary to metabolize sugars. So everything that is in that sugar cane or that beet that is good for you is taken out. Not only does sugar lack food value, but it robs the nutrients from other foods eaten or from nutrients stored in the body in order to metabolize the sugar. In other words, when you eat or suck on a piece of sugar cane, it has vitamins and minerals and all those necessary things to digest it within it. But once they process it, refine it, and take all those things out, it cannot be digested on its own. Therefore, it has to take the good from other foods you eat or whatever good is already stored in your body to metabolize or utilize or pass that on through your system. So it only, not only doesn't have anything good in it, it takes anything that is good that you are just eating or that your body already has and takes it out of your body. So there is something wrong with it. It's not just that it has no food value. It takes other good value from your body. It robs your body. You borrow from Peter to pay Paul. Or you borrow from MasterCard to pay Visa. Have you gained anything? No. Continuing to quote, as a result, refined sugar, especially at high levels, can create nutritional deficiencies. It not only doesn't do you any good, it takes the good from you. Now here's a quote 
from 1973 from John Yudkin, M.D. There is no physiological need for sucrose at all. In other words, your body does not need refined sugar. There is no reason to believe that sugar or sucrose plays a part Oh, did I say there is no reason? It says there is reason to believe that sugar, sucrose, plays a part in several diseases of civilization, examples of what I have called the malnutrition of affluence. Now this little book goes through, this is just a page copied out of it, but it goes through and describes all the sweeteners basically in our society today and what possibly can be good and what is not good. And it has a check mark by those things which are good. And there are very, very few check marks. If it has been refined and processed, it is very likely not good for your body. I could go on for hours and hours with this kind of quotes from people who understand what is good for your body and what is not. And some of them don't even get the full picture. I'm going to give you a few principles now to wrap this up. As I say, we could go on and on, but can we get a principle? The less something is refined, the less processed it is, the better it is for you. And the more it has been done, the worse it is for you. And Mr. Armstrong hit it right on the head when he said, eat things that will spoil and eat them before they spoil. That is a good rule of thumb, a principle to follow. You walk into your nearest convenience store and you look around and I submit that it is almost impossible to find anything in that store worth putting in your body. Very, very little. Now you go into the grocery store, the big grocery store, and you will find a greater variety of things that are more nearly worth putting in your body. But even if you go to the fruit and vegetable counter, there are things that they have done to it that are not good in terms of insecticides, uh, chemical fertilizers, picking it green, not letting it reach ripeness, and on and on and on. <clears throat> you can't get completely away from it in this world. I wish we were in a situation where we had a Garden of Eden that produced everything that was good for us. But until the millennium, that may not exist. It may for a short while in a place of safety or just before. But right now, we have a fight on our hands to try to build this physical temple in the way that God would have us build it. And I think that this is important. From the standpoint that you show your faith by your works. And when we go before God to be healed, and we're imbibing of everything that Babylon offers, it's almost a mockery to ask him to heal us when we are in the midst of sinning with no care given to trying to do the very absolute best we can 
with what is here. The attitude simply cannot be, well, everything's bad anyway, so what difference does it make? Well, it can make a lot of difference. Even though the fresh fruits and vegetables and the better meats that you might be able to get hold of are there, they do have some problems, but they're not as bad as the ones that are the worst. Now, it costs more to try to get meat that has been raised on what they call organic pastures without chemical fertilizers and, and full of growth hormones and all those things. Why are we getting more and more effeminate? Why are we getting queer? Why are we getting homosexual? A lot of it's those growth hormones that they put in the animals, the chickens, the turkeys, the beef. A lot of it comes from that. A lot of it's mental, but some of it is being artificially produced in us. Better that we raise it ourselves or find a source where they use very little, if any, of that kind of thing. There was an article in Reader's Digest, and I think I mentioned this some time back, that said your diet needs to have as many colors as possible. Now, I'm not talking about red dye number three or ten, or artificial colors and sweeteners and, and flavors. But what the article meant was, and, and it made this point, and it's been something that I can remember easily, and something that I think about fairly consciously today. And that is, eat as many colors in your diet as you possibly can every day. The upshot of the article was that most Americans have a sort of whitish to beige or light brown diet. French fries, potato chips, you know, sort of brownish, beige-ish, or white bread with a little brown crust around it, that type of thing. So he said, eat orange, eat purple, eat red, eat green. Uh, natural colors like that and do it consciously. You know, green peppers, green spinach, uh, oranges, apples, grapes, things that have color. The more color you eat, the more likely you're going to have a balanced, nutritious diet. We may have to retrain our taste buds. They are perverted, they are addicted to certain things. Maybe we need, instead of saying, well, that's the way I've always been and I don't like that, maybe we ought to begin to learn to like that. It took me probably 50 years, well, not that long, because it didn't start till I was probably 8 or 9 or 10 or 11, I don't know, to learn to like celery. I had a traumatic childhood experience with celery. My dad made me eat some when I didn't want to eat it, and I got one of those strings down my throat and choked. And I didn't care much for salary at that point, and after that I really didn't like it. And for years, I would walk away push away anything that contains celery. Over the last ten years, I've finally begun to overcome that 
and now will actually here at Potluck reach and get raw celery and put it on my plate because it's green and because I know it's good for me and I finally got into the place that I can actually even appreciate the taste. But before, not only the strings but the taste just did me in. Couldn't handle it. If this boy can learn to eat celery, you can learn to eat some things too that are good for you that you avoid because you simply don't like it. And you can learn to get away from some of those things that you do like, but you have been perverted to enjoy by this society. We are to come out of her, my people, that we be not partakers of her sins and of her plagues. Now, if this nation is plagued by high blood pressure, diabetes, cancer, heart disease, and a plethora of other things. That is the fruit, the result, of what we have been eating. God says you'll know it by the fruits thereof. Now I know it's a struggle. I've struggled with it. It's not as bad at home because Marla's quit bringing that junk into the house. Every once in a while I'll come across something else that I say, please don't buy this anymore. I just read the ingredients and we don't need it in the house. And she finds a lot of those things herself. And she's pretty much gotten rid of most of them. But I came across one the other day and I mentioned it. I think it frustrated her a little bit that I said something and she hadn't found it or hadn't paid attention to it. But nonetheless, she's done a pretty good job of getting rid of the stuff. And we're trying to do it right. Now, I've had a bigger problem over the last year or two when I go traveling or when I go to town and I want to buy something and, and all that stuff is there. It's cheap, it's quick, tastes good to a Babylonian palate, mine, one that has been trained on that stuff. And I've had to fight it. And I know some of you are struggling and fighting. Some care more than others. We try to find justifications and ways around. But I think we need to address this. Don't we want to be spiritually healed? Yes, we do. Don't we want to feel good physically? Yes, we do. What made us the way we are? The stuff that they offer to us as food. And some of them are picked green, and they've been raised on bad soils, and there's not much nutrition value left, even in some of the things that are raw, or in the, basically the form that God originally made them without refining and processing. In some cases, you may need some supplements, because you're not getting vitamins and minerals. But there again, you need to be very careful, because when men start taking bits and pieces out of this animal or this fish or this vegetable, they can process it and refine it even so-called naturally, and it can have all kinds of stuff that really shouldn't be there. It's not been processed and treated properly. So use some wisdom there. Some might need supplements more than others. And herbs can be very good. Herbs are used in the Bible to show it's okay to use herbs that God has created. Eat good herbs for health problem with it is that the FDA and the AMA, if something shows to work, 
will take it off the market. They've done that with several very effective herbs that God made. The people found to help them with some of their health problems. First thing you know, it's been banned. Can't sell it anymore in this country. That's what they do. Because they want you to buy their pills and go under their knives. That's where the money is. They don't make money off herbs. They make it off of knives and drugs and pills. Drink lots of water. Eat natural things. Eat lots of vegetables, nuts, fruits, whole grains, not processed and refined things. And you will find your health is better. And I think then you can go to God when you need to be anointed, when you need his intervention or a miracle from him, and say, Father, I'm doing the very best I know how with what is here, what's available. Please make up the difference. Please heal me. Please cause a miracle. I've repented. I've changed. I've quit eating the stuff that is obviously bad for me. I'm, I'm doing my best to try to get things as wholesome as I possibly can. And you can have greater faith because your works are there. You're trying to do something about it. I'm trying to raise my own meat. I'm trying to raise my own vegetables. Uh, we have limited capacity to do that. But we're making the effort, and we're trying to get away from those things which man has botched and bungled. And it is sin. Let's understand that. There is physical sin. There are things that we should not have that are creating plagues among us. And if it's creating plagues, then it must be bad. Now, why would I want to treat my taste buds to something that could create a plague in my body? Just because I have been addicted to those things by a Babylonian system that would love to keep me in its clutches so that I might partake of its sins and of its plagues. Are we convinced that the way God made something is the best form, or are we convinced that the drug and pharmaceutical companies and the so-called food companies have it right? That if they can make it the last two years on the shelf, it's something we ought to cram in our body. How long is your body going to last? Well, we're finding out that we are a nation plagued with diseases. Mental, emotional, physical diseases and plagues. <coughs> now, if we've been struggling with some of these things and having trouble with ourselves, having trouble changing habits, I hope that talking about it today will help us with the struggle. I did not intend to get on you, to be angry at you. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated with myself and with us and with the world around us, which is trying to kill us. Now, Satan is in control of all these processes in modern society. It is Satan's society. <laughs> and he is taking anything that God has made that he can possibly pervert and is perverting it. He wants to see all mankind dead. And he is making great strides toward that. Killing us by putting inside us things that are poison for us and cause that whatever God put in there naturally in your body to heal it, to make it function properly, putting things in there that get in the way. 
like the sugar that takes whatever nutrients you have and has to have them to metabolize and to pass on through your body. Well, I hope this helps us get a little broader view, a little greater picture of what God would expect of us under these circumstances. Do the absolute best we can in terms of what we can find and within our budgets to try to eat better. Now you say, well, things that are more natural cost more. I really doubt that an organically grown cucumber is much per pound or is as much per pound as potato chips. The most expensive cucumber in the organic health store does not cost near as much per pound as potato chips. Figure out some amount of time how much those things cost. See, the more they process it, the more refine it, uh, the higher the price they want to put on it. There's less value there. It'll last longer. It's a marketing thing. Well, I could go on, but I think that's enough. Let's stop there and let's see if we can win this struggle. Let's see if we can do as God would have us do. I asked the gal some time back if anything looked like it had sugar or corn syrup in it, not to put it out on the table. Uh, anything that is put out here that is a fruit punch that has sugar or corn syrup in it, they're instructed not to put out. So if you bring that and you wonder why it didn't get eaten or the bottle opened, it's because they've been instructed we need to upgrade what we put out in a public thing. I can't come in your house. I'm not going to start looking through your cabinets and trying to find out if you are complying or not. I'm telling you that between you and God, <coughs> you need to make sure you are doing things according to the way it ought to be done and that if you are building a temple of his spirit then you ought to be in the same attitude that he is when he builds a temple and that is put on only in it the best that you can possibly obtain and anything that is inferior should be rejected and put aside because it is not suitable building material for a temple of God.